Rick Madison, Rick and Friends, and uh, I have another friend on the old podcast today, which is lovely. Um, he's someone who doesn't like me using this term, but it's Dr. Neil Fasina, uh, president of Okanagan College. Welcome to the show. Thank you so very much for having me. So why I would use the doctor all the time. I, I mean, I honestly would. It would be like, my name is doctor and the rest doesn't even like, how come you're reluctant? You know, I, I, it, it's an interesting question, Rick. It's kind of twofold. Uh, I, I find that when I end up using the title, uh, people end up actually putting a, almost like a barrier between really? uh, them and me. And, and so when when you're working with a, a title of an office like a president, and then you add the layer of doctor, it just sort of it creates this aura that, that, that for some reason just people see it as a barrier to not walk across. Okay. And okay. so when I use just Neil, uh, it, it, it makes me a little bit more human and it actually invites people uh, into, into my space a little bit more. Well, that's fair. Yeah. Okay. You want to be approachable. I do. Yeah. I, I do get that. Yeah. But I mean, I, I mean, the professor thing when I was teaching, I mean, I got me into a lot of nice restaurants. I'm not going to lie. So today I really wanted to, uh, again, find out about the, the college is going through a bit of a metamorphosis, a bit of a change. So we're going to talk about that. But student housing, I mean, that's very exciting. A lot of people listening to the show have heard that there's, you know, obviously they see the construction. There's been some media reports. Uh, talk to us a bit about the construction going on around the college. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, anyone that's driving by the, the KLO campus uh, of the college will see construction front and center. Uh, foundation uh, and footings are just being finished off on, on the new student housing on, on the Kelowna campus. Uh, from there, we'll start to see that construction going vertical. So a six-story building, very much a welcoming uh, presence on, on the college that'll hopefully again invite people in uh, to see that, that the college is a welcoming space. It's, it's where students not only learn, but they're also living, right? And, and truly creating that, that community feel. Uh, sometime uh, early, or sorry, I, I'll, sh I'll say late this fall, we'll start to see uh, some action up in Vernon as well. So we'll start to, to see uh, equipment on site, moving towards getting the, the foundation cut uh, on, the, on the Vernon campus. That one's going to be a really kind of neat one as well. I mean, anyone that's been up to that campus knows the view of uh, Kalamalka Lake. And so Stunning. literally, I mean, the student housing uh, on that campus is, is going to be just a spectacular spot uh, to, to be living. And then early uh, next year, we'll see some movement up in Salmon Arm uh, with the, the student housing being built uh, built up there. A little bit of a smaller complex up in, up in Salmon Arm, but nevertheless, an absolutely needed one. So let's talk a bit about and give people a bit of a framework. So how many different campuses do you have? Oh, so we have got... I'll do the math, I believe nine physical locations. So we have got uh, our uh, Salmon Arm uh, campus that uh, is our, our academic building. So your, your typical classrooms and labs kind of thing. Uh, we've got a trade center in Salmon Arm, uh, which is just in the industrial park, uh, kind of hidden away a little bit for anyone that, that doesn't know exactly where it is, but really in the hub of some pretty exciting stuff going on in Salmon Arm. Uh, moving down, uh, sorry, moving up uh, into Revelstoke, uh, we've got a spot uh, just just off the highway in Revelstoke. So anyone that goes by kind of that gasoline alley kind of thing, little quick dip inside the, the traffic circle in, in Revelstoke and you're, you're at our Revelstoke Center. Uh, down in Vernon, uh, we've got the, uh, the the main Vernon campus that is right along the highway there, but we've also got a uh, hangar out at the, the Vernon Airport. 
uh, coming down into uh, Kelowna, the first thing you're going to see coming from the north is our location at, uh, at the Kelowna airport as well. So aviation is split between Vernon and Kelowna. Uh, and then KLO campus, as as many uh, know, uh, the Innovation Center downtown uh, Kelowna. We've got a program uh, working out of that building, and then down into uh, Penticton. Uh, so we've got our uh-huh. our main campus down in Penticton, and then down in Oliver Osoyo. So we've got another building, uh, another center down there for learning. So we are we are literally one end to the other, almost U.S. border, all the way up to Revelstoke uh, in terms of geography. So that's yeah, kind of cool. That is uh, widespread. And, it is. And so give me an idea and give the listeners an idea of numbers then. So we, you know, at any given time, how many students would you have enrolled either remotely as well as physically? Yeah. So I'm gonna, I'll talk a little bit about what we saw in 2019 because we're getting closer back to that, but not not. Uh, surprisingly, the last couple of years we saw a dip, right? With uh, with COVID, people just kind of stepping away from kind of a physical presence kind of thing. But 2019, we were just around 20,000 students. Uh, we saw a dip down uh, into kind of the 16,000 uh, in 2020, 2021, and then started to work our way back up to the point where we're you know we're we're pushing about 18 and a half thousand students uh, in in a given year now. Uh, when you consider you know there's there's about 400,000 people in in the region uh 18 and a half thousand students is, is is a lot of people mm-hmm. right uh, now granted not all of them are coming to us for a full year so like our trades portfolio those those students those trades professionals are coming to us you know for three four five six seven weeks at a time uh, as compared to kind of the the typical thinking of an eight month uh, style annual program but but nevertheless uh, i mean i anticipate that we'll we'll be back up closer to that twenty thousand mark here uh, within the next year or two and, and do you have any kind of idea or stats around how many people train here and then ultimately make their home here? So we see, I'll, I'll start at the front end of that equation. So about 70% of the students that are attending Okanagan College come from the region. So there are about only about 30% of the students come from afar, whether that be domestic students from other parts of Canada that, that find uh, the, the valley their home or uh, internationally. Uh, and and the majority of those international students that find their way to Okanagan College mm-hmm. will stay. Uh, in terms of the domestic students coming from other parts of Canada, that that one I have to be honest, I don't have a, a, a number on. And in terms of who makes the the valley permanently their home, it's uh, it is interesting though that I I think some of those numbers would would just completely uh, baffle people because again the college is something you you know if you drive down KLO and you see a bunch of students and you know, you really don't have a concept until you really find out what the population is like. And plus faculty, you also have a a very large faculty. Yeah. I mean, across the college, we're over 1100 team members. Uh, So when you consider, you know, from obviously one of the largest groups uh, of those team members is going to be the the faculty on, on the, uh, the vocational side, as well as the, uh, the, 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 say the, the degree, diploma, certificate mm-hmm. um, uh, programming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but beyond that, then there's a, a team of, you know, student service experts who are there to make sure that the, the student is able to focus on what's important and that's being their learning. Uh, they're there to provide their wraparound supports that, that enable that. And then in behind that team is a group of uh, people that you know they're doing their job when you don't know that they're there, yeah. right? Because they're they're all experts and they're really just trying to make it so that the people that are either instructing uh, our students 
students or are supporting our students are able to do their jobs, right? And just making sure that they've got the runway that they need and the resources that they need uh, so that the student can have the absolute best experience both in the classroom and outside the classroom. True. Each diamond is uniquely different. It is special and beautiful because of its rarity. That is the power and magic of a diamond. A new store in Kelowna is open to showcase this symbol of love and commitment. Herrera, fine jewelry. The name in Latin means rare and exceptional. Much like a diamond is extraordinary and rare, just like her. Herrera, fine jewelry. Featuring Takuri, Noam Kava, Burks, and Simon G. Jewelry. It does seem like uh, during my time there, it did seem that there was a constant uh, build. There was a constant build either physically, um, but there was constant leaps of innovation or there was new channels being looked at. And it seems to be the college's way of of really trying to communicate with the, the job sector and trying to find, okay, how do we make the most relevant approach to all of our students? And and I really saw the dialogue between the workplace as well as the college. And maybe just speak to that, that, that direct correlation, it seemed. Yeah, you bet. And, and this is in part what I love about the college sector. Uh, when we think about colleges, one of the, the, the words we think about is connected, mm-hmm. right? The, the college is connected to its community at so many different levels. So from the, the, the sort of the macro level where we think about industry groups. So, you know, you'll have an agriculture industry group or an aviation industry group or a construction trades industry group. And that, that professional group will be connected into the institution in terms of uh, helping us understand what the programming needs are going to be, not only today, but, but tomorrow. Uh, helping us understand what our learners are going to experience when they they finish their time with us and are entering the workplace. And then even beyond sort of that advisory side, the these community partners, and this is where I'll, I'll take it from that industry level down to the level of the individual employers are incredibly connected because they become part of our learning environment. They are the people that are providing opportunities for apprentices, uh, opportunities for people to engage in community-based learning, uh, the work integrated learning environments, or the, you know the cooperative education kind of spaces. Like what the the student is is creating in terms of their knowledge with us, they're turning around and applying it in community right there and then through these these applied learning experiences. And so that relationship between community and the college is is mutually beneficial without question, but it is so highly connected that both both sides of that partnership are trying to stay ahead of the sort of the proverbial curve, you know, like mm-hmm. we're trying to stay ahead by learning from them around what's needed next. And they're trying to stay ahead by bringing the best talent uh, into the space to, to make sure that they're always being competitive and always moving forward. And so there is that, that connectivity at, at, at like I said, the, the high level, but also all the way down to individual employers that are, that are uh, connected in with us. And, and speaking of those employers, there must be, like your phone must ring off the hook with, with employers going, okay, 
I need 14 people stat right now for for this category. I need, you know, five. Today I was just walking out of an office and they said, if you know of a digital marketer, we'd love to speak to them. And it's it's interesting as I move around the community, you know, more and more employers are really facing that shortage. And this is all, of course, brand new news to you, I'm sure. But it, it just seems like that um, the the college is is really that that resource for a lot of employers, and a lot of people listening to this podcast are business people and going, yeah, how do I get them? How do I get first dibs on them? How do I how do I get to the front of the line? Um, is is there kind of a, a dialogue? Because I know a lot of employers are are looking at private public partnerships um, just to try and infill some of these uh, these massive gaps that they're experiencing. But it just maybe speak to the fact that I know a lot of employers. How how do they work with the college to try and keep that that next generation going for them? Yeah. So Rick, I think uh, it probably goes without saying for for anyone listening that the, the that feeling of the talent crunch uh, is real. Uh, it's a function of uh, volume. So just in terms of the, the the available people to engage in in the workforce, and it's a function of skill match. So for those that are engaging in in the workforce, do they have the skills, the knowledge, the abilities that are required in order to be uh, effective and and a positive contributor to uh, that that individual employer? And the question that is being asked of you is is without question something that is being asked of me almost on a daily basis. Uh, it comes in very different forms, uh, but the underlying question or the underlying statement is typically help, mm-hmm. right? I, I need this talent. I, I'm, I, I need X number of people to be able to do Y type of jobs so that I can be productive and, and be a, a positive contributor to, to our community. And the the question that you pose is is an interesting one, right? Like, how do I get to that front of the line? And 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 admittedly, there is no line. Uh, so I'd I'd love to say that there is a line and there is a way to get to the front of it. The best piece of advice I can I can give to to employers in the region is to stay connected with the college, stay connected with the the program that uh, you're you're interested in, and make sure that we're partnering with the college. Uh, because as as we start to to create those partnerships, we actually build our capacity to be able to to create uh, more opportunity for that talent to be created. But that partnership is also part of the element of of coming to see that the creation of talent has to be done in partnership. Uh, We're moving from a time where employers were able to seek out and and proverbially, quote unquote, purchase talent by putting a job out out and making sure that their, their compensation and benefits was the most competitive in market. And we're moving to a point now where the balance is actually moving to the employee uh, in terms of that Mm -hmm. equation. And if we see uh, employers become partners in terms of building that talent as compared to purchasing that talent, then we'll start to see a lot more of the the connection between the student and that employer, right? Uh, Or that employer and the student. And so it becomes a little bit more of a dance 
uh, with the talent or with the students as they're they're developing and as they're learning throughout their program, mm-hmm. as compared to just you know asking me the question you know once they're done how do I get to the front of that line? It's mm-hmm. what we really want to do is engage you before the student even starts. Right. And then how do we work with you to help that student learn in the best, most applicable way possible so that not only are they, they, they technically competent when they're done with us, but they also understand the context that they're walking into. And that's best achieved by doing it through partnership. Each diamond is uniquely different. It is special and beautiful because of its rarity. That is the power and magic of a diamond. A new store in Kelowna is open to showcase this symbol of love and commitment. Herrera, fine jewelry. The name in Latin means rare and exceptional. Much like a diamond is extraordinary and rare. Just like her. Herrera, fine jewelry. Featuring Takuri, Gnome Carver, Burks, and Simon G. Jewelry. Let's uh, let's talk a bit about the learning environment, which you just touched on. Um, and, and again you're trying to to build uh, with your team a fundamental change at the college. So maybe just touch on this <laughs> this enormous um, foundation, which in in my eyes, it, it is really tough to pivot an institution. it It really is. and and so you're embarking on that. Good on you. <laughs> um i hope I hope it's not that picture of Obama when he first goes in office and Obama when he left. but um, but obviously, that's a major responsibility and a major undertaking. So how, Maybe just talk about how you initiate the change and then we'll talk about what kind of changes you're looking at. For sure. So, I mean, to your point, yes, uh, as a college, we are now looking at a, a future that is different than our past and is different than our current. And and when I say that, it's important to recognize that like higher education has always changed. It has always adapted to meet the needs of the communities that it is that is there to serve. And what we're seeking to do at, at the college is to accelerate that change so that we can actually create an environment that is almost inherently ahead of what the broader population might come to expect of a college. And I say that because, I mean, I think you're alluding to it. I mean, when, when we talk about institutions like colleges or universities, they tend to change a little bit more slowly than we would see in, in say, private industry, right? Because there, there are processes that are involved. There are uh, collegial governance environments that are involved. So care has to be taken to, to how we create that change so that that change is lasting. And uh, to, to set a little bit of that context, when I came into to the college, I, I had a start that was unlike uh, a lot of presidential starts, right? It's not, <laughs> it's not the start that I would have expected had it not been for COVID. But so when, when a president typically starts, they spend a lot of time in community, getting to know the community, getting to understand what the community's needs are. When I started, I had to stay in my office. Like I could, I couldn't go out oh, and visit right, people, yeah. right? Everything had to be pandemic. done. Did, yeah, a little, little thing called a pandemic. And so I had this really unique, quite frankly, very cool start to my presidency because I got to spend nine months with the internal community. 
Mm. I got to spend that time asking them where their their desires are, where their hopes are, where their dreams are. And that was so incredibly enlightening uh, because what came out of that is what we call the Inspire Plan. Uh, and so the Inspire Plan is our our vision, our roadmap to be able to create that college of the future. And the reason that it's, it's so incredibly cool to me is that people will often talk about a, a strategy being a president's strategy. Mm-hmm. Inspire is the furthest thing from. Ins- <laughs> Inspire is... The college's strategy. It is uh, like what I did with a with a small working team was simply put words to what was coming from within the community. Mm. So within that community, there was there was this this incredible passion and desire to create something that didn't yet exist in the market, and. So through that process, through that that design of Inspire, what I came to realize is not only was there amazing ideas sitting in the college ready to go, but the passion of the people in the college is ready to go. It was almost, it, it was almost like there was this energy saying, "Listen, Neil, we're thrilled you're here, but can you go faster?" <laughs> right. Um, and so you know, I've 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 said in other environments when it comes to change. You know, we need, we need a plan, we need time, we need resources, and we need passion. The plan we were able to create as a group, we created Inspire. Uh, time, we have, a, you know, time on our hands in the fact that, you know, there's not a platform on fire or anything like that. Like, we've, we're working from a fantastic foundation, which gives us that chance to, to actually kind of leapfrog to, to what could possibly be next. Resources, I, I mean, I, we all know that higher education resources tend to be tight. Uh, it, I'm, uh, that, that's a reality we face, but it's one that is achievable. The hard one when it comes to change in higher education is passion, uh, because you can't create passion. No. Uh, but I was so incredibly fortunate. When I walked in the front door, the, the passion was on fire. Like it was just like to a person, people are getting up every morning, they're making the conscious decision to come to the college and make not only the college, but the world a better place for our learners. And they want to do that better. They want to do that further. They want to do that faster. They want to do that more innovatively. And so really what we did was just shape out the words that were literally coming from, from inside the team um, to be able to do it, which makes, which makes that change process a lot easier to start from. Like it's not me standing behind a a podium Mm -hmm. saying, here's where we're going, right? It's, it's, this is where we said we wanted to go. Let's, let's figure out how to do it now. We're going to be back in a moment with, uh, with more Neil Fasina, uh, Dr. Neil Fasina, president of Okanagan College. Each diamond is uniquely different. It is special and beautiful because of its rarity. That is the power and magic of a diamond. A new store in Kelowna is open to showcase this symbol of love and commitment. Herrera, fine jewelry. The name in Latin means rare and exceptional. Much like a diamond is extraordinary and rare, just like her. Herrera, fine jewelry. Featuring Takuri, Noam Carver, Burks, and Simon G. Jewelry. All right, we're back. And and so I'm going to call you Neil. Neil, what would be the difference? Uh, we're going to talk about the plan and, and the execution of the plan in a moment because you, uh, what I would call in the movie circles as a great teaser. 
Um, but talk about your role versus the dean's role in the college. For sure. And and it's a great question, Rick. And, and because when we think about, uh, you know, the movies, when we think about, you know, books about the academy, one of the titles that everyone hears is dean. Yeah. Right. And so like even as a, as a junior faculty member, when I first started, I knew who my dean was. Mm-hmm. I, I think I had a president, but I wasn't really sure. Like no one wakes up in junior high and says, I want to be a college president, right? So um, so it's, it is one of those ones that, that you have to evolve into. But so the, the dean is an incredibly, I'm going to say difficult role in, in any higher education environment. And the reason I say that it's difficult is it is the exchange of strategy and operations in, in a higher education institution. So uh, the the executive level uh, offices, so president, vice presidents, uh, the, the, you know, roles along that line tend to focus more on the strategy side of things, tend to focus a, a great deal on external relations and making sure that, we, you know, the, the college has got the, the partnerships that it needs uh, and, and uh, the relationships that it needs. And then, a, so a dean has responsibility for taking and understanding and 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 truly embracing kind of that strategy level, but then has to turn it into uh, an operation, right? And simultaneously, the dean is the individual that has to bring some of the operational challenges back up to be able to meet that strategy. So it is truly kind of that interchange uh, between strategy and operations. And, and some might liken it to uh, almost like a, a, a chief executive or a chief operating officer, just of a, of a smaller unit within, within a college environment. So they have got responsibilities to be the academic champion for whatever their portfolio is covering, right? So, the, you know, the, the dean of science and technology needs to be championing the utmost uh, quality and and student experience in science and technology programming, and then simultaneously, they're also sort of the chief operating officer, right? Mm-hmm. So they they are responsible for making that that ideal academic environment come to life. And so the way that I've I've talked about it before in other environments is that uh, you know one side of their role has to pretend like resources are no problem. Right. If, if we had ultimate resources in the world, what academic experience could we create? And then the second half of their role has to realize that resources are constrained. And so they have to find a way to optimize that connection between what is the ideal and what is the reality. And so that truly is where the, that dean role starts to play in. And then to add to that complexity, they're the face of the portfolio. So when we think of like the dean of trades, when you think of, you know, who's who's the face of trades at Okanagan College? Well, we're going to look to the Dean of Trades. You know, Mm -hmm. who's the face of health? Well, we're going to look to the Dean of Health. Uh, And so they've got kind of that external persona that they have to to uphold as well. And so it is truly a three-part job and and frankly, not an easy one. No, it it doesn't sound like it at all. And and it seems to me like there's a, a, a fundamental shift, I guess you could say, um, in the college where roles are, I guess uh, they're, they're getting, I mean, as we, as we grow and as sometimes resources are stretched, sometimes roles change and they evolve. And I'm sure your, your president's role has evolved several times since you've taken the position. For sure. Um, 
I think it's fair to say that this, the senior level leadership roles uh, in, in any higher education institution have changed over time. Uh, and uh, I'd say that over the last kind of half dozen, maybe 10 years, we've seen an acceleration of the roles of dean. Uh, we've seen an acceleration of the roles of some of the vice presidents. Uh, we've seen an acceleration of the role of president. Uh, and, and the reason I would suggest that that is the case is that in, in many respects, so whether it be my job or a vice president's job or a dean's job, we are there to make sure that the people that are working with us, the teams that we work with, can do their job effectively. Right? We're there to help create the runway. We're there to help identify and prioritize the resources. And we're there to help uh, shape and, and create the kind of the culture that the whole organization uh, works within and vice versa. As, as you work your way through that, that organizational chart, it just continues to, to push that direction where we're there to help the next layer, the next level be as effective as they can. And when we put that into a resource-constrained environment that has become more high pace. And what I mean by that is, you know, the cycles of business are speeding up, mm -hmm. right? And so when we used to talk about a cycle of business being maybe a year or two years, we're down to, uh, you know, a week and a half to three weeks. And so the, the pace of the, of the environment in which we're trying to stay connected to has increased. And the complexity of what we're doing has also gone up. Right, whether that be because colleges uh, evolve and and add new things, or whether that be uh, the context in which we're working we're working within uh, new government policy or new uh, you know public direction, new public sentiment, just continually adds that complexity. So when we think about you know the dean or the or the associate deans, the vice presidents, I mean, I, like I don't want to leave anyone out because everyone is an <laughs> is an essential uh, uh, you know piece to that puzzle the context that each of those individuals is dealing with has changed. And, and so that's what you mean by accelerated. Yeah. Okay. Because we had a, a fellow on the show who's an author of a book talking about leadership. And one of the, one of the traits he was talking about was responsiveness as a leader. He said, that is truly one of the big indicators of a leader in a digital world that we have is the responsiveness to ongoing trends. And, and as you mentioned, things can change very quickly in today's age. Is that one of the, if you were to, to talk about the traits of, of leadership as the way you see it, what traits would you admire? So I'll, I'll echo responsiveness uh, and I will sort of add to it the idea of complexity. Uh, and so when we think of, you know, we will have heard uh, words around systems thinking and, and things of that nature. And, and I don't mean to be, to be glib about it, but the, the system in which our leaders are working is becoming more and more and more complex. Uh, to the to the idea that you know if you you pull one lever nine other ones move mm -hmm. and so there is this this ability of a leader to be able to see that complex system understand how to make changes within that system and know that for every decision they're going to make it has a ripple effect that uh, may or may not be related to their office but most certainly is is a ripple effect uh, and then beyond uh, the the responsiveness the the complexity piece. I think that we are in a space now where 
empathy is no longer optional. Mm. Uh, you know, when we look at the, the history of leadership theory, I mean, we've been studying leadership for, for decades upon decades, and there, there is no one right leadership structure, right? If there was, then, then we'd all have that book and we'd all be following it. Um, but the, the rise of empathy in recognition that, you know, the things that I was talking about in terms of complexity, it's not just the leaders that are experiencing that. It is literally every single individual from, from the instructional staff to the, to the student support staff to the, you know, the finance team, the HR team, the complexity in which we are operating just continues to evolve. And so as a leader, if we assume that only we are dealing with that complexity and don't have the empathy for, for the teams who we're working with, then we start to actually separate ourselves, mm-hmm. right? We're, we're, we become, um, we become, become leaders without followers, <laughs> which it turns out is not a good leadership theory, right? So uh, I, I put empathy in there. Uh, and I'd also put uh, sort of the, the willingness to learn and the willingness to adapt, mm-hmm. right? Like going back to that idea, there's no one perfect leadership structure or no one perfect leadership style. But if we assume that the leadership style that we had 10 years ago is going to be the leadership style we have 10 years from now, uh, we're either lying to others or we're lying to ourselves. And right? empathy is an interesting one for me because uh, in a lot of times, empathy can be crippling for people. It can be paralyzing, especially if you, you know, the whole nature of empathy is to feel and to understand. And I think uh and, and a lot of people can get caught up in that because obviously any action creates a reaction, as we all know. And empathy is one of those things that you're right. You do need to be in tune with your team, their needs, and being responsive and, and quick about it. But I, I find it's, it's just an interesting balance that we'll have to strike is because eventually you have to make a move. You have to make a decision that not everybody is going to be on board with. And I'm sure... With your Inspire plan, not everybody was on board with that. As much as it was a culmination of a lot of different voices, but I'm sure if you have too much empathy, you end up just ultimately just sitting there. Well, to not do anything will not upset anybody. Fair. And and I think when it comes to change, when it comes to that, that kind of that transformational change, and that's, that's really what Inspire is. You're, you're right. I mean, there are, there are going to be team members that, that look at decisions that I make or decisions that are made by other, other leaders around uh, the, the college, and, and they'll disagree. And, and that's okay. Uh, as long as that leader, whether that be me or anyone else, is able to actually explain and justify Right. So to your point, I mean, empathy can have a crippling effect if if it is taken to the point of uh, of of indecision. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the flip side, we need to take empathy far enough that when we do make a decision and we are aware that it has created disagreement, that at least we've got a rational basis for for why we made that decision. Right, um, and and that's that's the inevitability of of change, and and the, the, you know the crazy part is is as we move through change, not all decisions are going to be right, uh, and th- the best thing that we can do is make those decisions, and if they're wrong, let's figure out they're wrong, and let's figure out how to get out of them, right? Like it's it, that's just about showing that you've got you know almost empathy for yourself, realizing that none of us are perfect. Whoa, whoa! I know. Sorry. It's, I, <laughs> 
<laughs> I, I'm not perfect. How about that, Rick? <laughs> Each diamond is uniquely different. It is special and beautiful because of its rarity. That is the power and magic of a diamond. A new store in Kelowna is open to showcase this symbol of love and commitment. Herrera, fine jewelry. The name in Latin means rare and exceptional. Much like a diamond is extraordinary and rare. Just like her. Herrera, fine jewelry. Featuring Takuri, Noam Carver, Burks, and Simon G. Jewelry. So let's, uh, just because we don't have a, a ton of time left, I want to talk, I want to touch on a, a few different things. One is, um, so businesses listening to this podcast are going, man, I, you know, the, the college does a lot. Um, I'd love to be more involved. How would they do that? How would they go about um, starting that conversation? Uh, because I know I'm always shocked when I move through the community of the new technology, the new businesses, the new ideas that, that seem to, the Valley attracts. And potentially they have no connection with the college. How, how would they start that dialogue? So that's, that's an awesome question, Rick, because I mean, when I think about the the number of proverbial front doors that the college has, uh, they're, they're, they're numerous, mm-hmm. right? So someone that is interested in engaging with the college uh, might be able to connect in at a program level, right? So being able to connect in with the, the program chair or even, you know, one of the instructional team members uh, within that program and just say, listen, I'd, I'd love to be involved how can I get involved? And really that's the, the first question is, is how to do it. And then it's up to our team to say, that's a great question. Rick, let me take your information. I'm going to take it to my, my program chair or I'll take it to my dean or you know, we'll, we'll take it to, to, to the vice president, whatever the case may be. That connection can really happen with any team member at the college. Uh, whether that be my office, whether that be, you know, like I said, one of the, the executive members, the deans, the associate deans, program chairs, you name it, the, the, we can make those connections in. And it's up to us to make sure that that channel is closed um, on, on that side. Alternatively, uh, if, if people are looking to, to try to figure out how to, to, to get connected in, they can either uh, uh, email in or phone in to, to our general line. And the person that, that's literally, she sits outside of my office. She's one of the most <laughs> incredible ladies on, on the campus. She knows more about Okanagan College than, than many of us, you know, could even imagine. And, and so just through exploring with someone that's, you know, one of those experts on our switchboard that says, listen, you know what? I have a company in this. Uh, I, I, I'd love to be connected in. I, I think it's in engineering or I think it's in health, but I really don't know. Can you point me in the right direction? And, and again, everyone is there to help. So we'll... We'll make sure that that, uh, that that channel's closed. Okay. The, the other question for you is, you know, as you sit in your office, and, and sometimes I'm sure you're mired in, in different chats and discussions and you're pulled in a lot of different directions, do you ever fundamentally get a chance to, to sh- you know, share a cup of coffee or a bite to eat with a student and really get connected back to the reason why you're doing all this stuff? Like, do you ever get that chance to ground it out and just get that meaning back? So admittedly, not as much as I want. Uh, There are opportunities that I get to have as the president that are uh, regular, I'll say regular episodes where I just get 
entirely fueled. So when I think of those things, it's it's our entrance scholarship events, it's our, our bursary uh, events where we're connecting our, our our donors with the the students that are receiving those those benefits. Uh, it's our convocation where you've got hundreds of people that you know you, they're smiling ear to ear. Um, beyond that, it, it's a just it. I do take the chance to walk around campus, uh, but admittedly, you know, to to your point, uh, my day kind of disappears at about seven a.m. and reemerges at about seven p.m. So, so there's there isn't you know a ton of opportunity. Like I said, as much as I'd love to, but any chance I get, I'll, I'll take the informal connection of the students just to ask them. You know, what do you like? What do you don't like? If you were me, what would you change? Yeah. Um, economic impact. Um, love to just touch on that because I, you know, <laughs> again, business people, it's all about dollars and cents and balance sheets and all that kind of stuff. Do you have any kind of numbers that we can kind of wrap our heads around impact? I mean, economic impact for the college. And this could be students, it could be a number of different things. Yeah. So I, I don't have one of those, uh, you know, sort of uh, marketing pieces that say, well, our economic impact is, is X millions of dollars. What I can do is just talk about where that impact is had. Right. So when when we think about the the impact of, of higher education, we've seen the data that says that higher education does lead to higher earning potential. So there is clearly a connection uh, between the, the chance to come to us as well as you know, a return to that student, a return to the community, a return to the, uh, the, the, the tax, uh, tax environment. So there is that economic benefit. There is also the economic benefit that we are a major employer. Right. When we talk about over over 1,100 people uh, that are part of our team, the vast, vast majority of the resources that we spend are actually investments in our people. Mm-hmm. Right. So those those team members are turning around and they are investing in the community. Um, we tend to do everything that we can in our power to purchase in community. Right. Making sure that we are keeping things as local as we as we humanly can. And those are the the economic pieces that play out. Uh, beyond that, though, we've got what we believe to be is a, is a fairly substantive social uh, impact, right? So those things that are a little harder to put dollars and cents on, uh, when you consider the the work that we do in community, uh, in partnering with whether it be not for profits or or aid groups that that just need some horsepower uh, in behind them, to be able to start moving some of those social needles, uh, we have got the opportunity and and take the opportunity to try to be as as progressive as we can be on some of those those social issues that are causing or creating you know, friction or challenge in community. And if we can take a leadership role in that because we have the, the ability to do so, it's kind of more like a first nickel strategy, right? It's, it's how do we invest our time, our resources to be able to start creating meaningful change in community so that the economic draw on some of those challenges are actually lessened, right? So, mm-hmm. so there is two sides to that, that economic equation in my mind. So is when you talk about taking a, an issue and being able to to analyze it and add horsepower to it, what, would, is there any kind of example that comes to mind when you think of that? So, so there is one that that's that I've been talking about just in terms of somewhere that we we can go. So please take this one with with the asterisks that we're not there yet. But one of the the challenges that was shared with me as we were developing Inspire was the risk of losing our youth 
to other communities, uh, primarily for f- uh, fear of not having meaningful employment and in turn not having housing achievability. Mm. And so we talk about it, the connection between meaningful education to meaningful employment to housing achievability. And, and I recognize for everyone that's listening, it's not a line, it's not a linear relationship, but at least they are connected uh, in, in one shape, one shape, form or another. And so we talk about having the impact on meaningful education because we can make sure that our, our programming is up to date. It is on the front edge, it is designed properly, it's delivered properly. But we also are fully engaged with community around that idea of creating meaningful work, right? So whether or not it's working with, uh, you know, small and micro organizations to to figure out how to scale up, figure out how to become, uh, you know, scalable, uh, working with medium size in terms of how do we continue to provide the talent they need in order to expand their, their operations and, and be competitive, trying to create more opportunity in community for our youth to stay, which in turn provides them more of that power to be able to move towards housing achievability. But even on that end of the spectrum, when we look at things like sustainable building, our construction trades, some of our engineering programs, we can actually influence the the sustainable, sorry, the housing achievability side of the equation as well, right? So, so there is the ability to start looking at some of those challenges that we're, that we're facing, you know, more community wide and being able to influence different parts of that value rather than, you know, only focusing on the education side. I could see you getting amped up. This is great. I, this is, right, this is, this is my passion. This is, you know, I've, I've had, I've had the, I've had the privilege of being able to be in higher education, the vast majority of my professional career. I've had the opportunity to serve in, universities around the country. I've had the chance to serve in polytechnics. I've had the chance to serve now in a college. Uh, education is the great equalizer. It is, it is so, so much fun to be in, right? So to be able to look at, at things in community and say, hey, you know what, we can, we can actually move that needle. We can make a difference and we can do it through learning. Uh, it's hard not to be excited. It's hard not to be um, jazzed up. That's that's very cool. I'm I'm glad to see that you have that passion because uh, I mean, big responsibility and uh, a lot of influence. I mean, the the, the college really has so many different uh, aspects to it that that really come back into the community, and I'm I'm excited to be uh, have that linkage to it, and uh, and proud to be well alumni sort of ish sort of thing. Um, I really appreciate the time and I know that you've got a a tight schedule, so we'll stop it there. But um, thanks again for coming on uh, the Rick and Friends show and we'll get you back on. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Neil.